Let's play that intro. Everything right. <laughs> Thank hey you, Dave. Kids, what time is that? Yay. Off we go. The future is coming on, it's coming on, it's coming on, it's coming on, it's coming Okay, I think we are live now. Welcome to the Future Now Show with Al and Son Lundell and Bobby Wilder, or uh, a.k.a. Dr. and Mrs. Future and Bobby B. Wilder. Hi. Hey, Hi welcome everybody. to the show. Yeah. I'm here. Hi. What a week it is, huh, with all this crazy weather? Yes, Man. indeed. We're not used to winter. We've become such inside creatures. We have snow, we have rain, and we think, oh no, what's going on with the climate? (laughs) Well, naturally, we pay attention to the various theories on all that, from Dane's ideas of geoengineering. That's right. It's all humans causing it for weather wars, (laughs) which has been around since World War II. Ah. Is this good? Or is Mother Gaia angry at us? Uh-huh. Or is Stefan Burns correct, who you listed in our Dr. Future show links today? Uh. Stefan Burns is asking, is Northern California's big one earthquake just days away? Oh, the weather is so exciting these days. Yes, this geophysicist is analyzing the abnormal magnetic signals that are amplified for this full moon. Oh, happy full moon, everybody. It was the apex of the brightest part of the full moon at 7.02 this morning. (laughs) Here we are enjoying the beautiful extra reflected light of the sun from the full moon. Yeah. Often full moons are associated with weird weather besides weird behavior. Yeah. I'm not really too worried about the weather right now because we did have this year's groundhog predicting six more weeks of winter. So, so you're expecting <laughs> We've another six We've still got another more, couple, yeah, okay. couple of weeks to go. That's yeah. true. That's true. <laughs> you mentioned the report that there's some evidence that NorCal's big one is just around the corner. Yeah. Right? Well, what's really interesting about that report, which was from Stefan Burns, a geophysicist in Northern California, mm-hmm. is that it actually takes place in Boulder Creek. Yes, the data that he analyzed came direct from the seismic measurements coming out of HeartMath, which is an institution that's right here in our local community. And the in-depth reporting that Stephen Burns did on that HeartMath data is a real education. It's very difficult to understand for someone such as myself who hasn't really learned to understand the relationship between the measurements that are being analyzed and how that predicts earthquakes. But he does a very good job trying to explain it. And if I listened to it two or three times, I could probably follow it better. Magnetometer readings in Boulder Creek from the HeartMath Institute suggest more increase in the Schumann resonance. That's the frequency of the planet itself. It resonates around eight hertz. That is kind of cool. We've got some results back from asteroid Rigu. There's a mission that we went to the Rigu asteroid and brought back some samples. Uh-huh. Hayabusa 2 spacecraft. It supports the theory that vital elements for life, like amino acids, could have been delivered to our planet from space. You're really wrapped up in that, aren't you? You just want to meet your ancestors, right? You want to know, did your ancestors come from a piece of space dust or did they evolve naturally from the proteins here yeah the proteins here 
Uh, yeah, everything came from here. That's it. <laughs> it's all earth-based. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, wrong. One of the big questions is whether or not life spontaneously generated in many places at once or just here. And that's what we're trying to figure out. The evidence suggests that it's everywhere. And also the evidence suggests that it might not just be carbon-based life forms. It becomes something that is available anywhere, anytime. It's all happening throughout the billions of years of evolution. So that means civilizations are rising and falling all over the galaxy, all over the universe. Now, why does it seem to me like the scientists are constantly debating this? They've had this argument dozens and dozens of times. Am I missing something? It's just that every so often we get some new tantalizing pieces of information. Yes, and, and so what's, and that's, what is the big breakthrough of this current tantalizing information? Specifically that the asteroid that we got a sample from has evidence to show that amino acids exist in deep space, places where we aren't. <laughs> <laughs> that elements of life exist elsewhere, and this is solid evidence to show that at least the precursors of life, the components that ultimately create us, are there. They're floating around in space. Now, one of the big questions is, is whether or not they combine in the right way to create life, that maybe they only combine in the right way here. Maybe they exist everywhere, but that doesn't mean they necessarily are going to generate life somewhere else. So our scientists have mostly been looking for uh, exoplanets that kind of resemble Earth, because that's what we understand. We understand Earth because we can study it in detail. In space, we have practically zero information compared to what we have here. So we tend to be Earth-centric in our thinking about what life is. But a number of scientists are beginning to say, well, hey, you know, maybe life can have a different form. You know, something we've known Star Trekers and sci-fi generally know that we've embraced this for since we were kids, that life and that aliens exist and all this is uh, not just mere speculation on, on our part. Uh, so the, the idea that life might be very different from our DNA, from our biology, is one of the things that uh, researchers are looking into now. What other forms of building blocks might we have besides uh, our DNA? Mm. Okay. I think that's a very interesting subject. So we're going to start giving equal status to life forms that are not just carbon-based? <laughs> <laughs> These ugly, ugly walking bags of water. Those carbon-based units, they're so liquid. And so all of those satellites, like the Kepler satellites that are looking for water on distant planets so that we can start aiming our future civilization to some Goldilocks planets, they're just a little too human-centric and we're missing the rest of life. Well, I wouldn't say human-centric. I would say biocentric. Oh. uh As we understand biology. Right. Wetness. One of the big things we look for in the universe is wetness, you know, where water is wet, mm-hmm. where it's liquid form. Sure. Yes. Well, I see since we're from an ocean planet where yeah. 70% of the surface is covered with water, we're a little biased. At least. Yeah. Well, you know, it's we're finding, little... we're most interested in finding creatures that are like ourselves. Yes. We're salty dogs. We like our own kind. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, aren't we? interested in describing what life might look like on, say, Enceladus, the moon of Jupiter. Yeah. And that 
supposedly is not going to be a water-based type of life form, right? Well, there's some oceans there that are huge. And chances are they've evolved very differently, and yet they'll have some similarities because it's all one, right? It's all connected. There's a you lot just, more gravity to deal with in that neck of the woods yeah. for our solar system. Well, yeah, the gravity <laughs> is different. That's true. So that's one of the variables that affect uh, the way biology or any other form of life might evolve. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Enceladus, I believe, uh, has water. That will lend itself to something more similar to us, I would assume. But I think there could be uh, cases to be made where life forms could evolve in other more strange combinations of gas, like the atmosphere of Venus, for example. There's a layer of the Venusian atmosphere that could support life as we know it, and maybe some that would support life that we don't know. <laughs> and since we don't know how to, what it is, we can't know how to look for it, and it seems invisible. Those ideas are starting to become more mainstream. If you look at the latest Scientific American, they have a big article on aliens as you don't know them. (laughs) (laughs) Scientific American. That's a really interesting article. I'm having a lot of fun with that. Your internet connection is weak. I just got a message on your computer. So. Uh, okay, let's see what internet connection we're on. Hey, you know, do you think all this might be related to the fact that we're passing through the solar wind? One of the most interesting things about the earthquake report from Stefan Burns is that he gave us an amazing illustration of what happens to our magnetosphere during a solar event, during a full moon event. And he has a really great illustration of how the position of the moon aligned on the far side of the earth with the sun during a full moon is both creating maximum tides, but it's also creating a mirror for the solar wind that is coming from the sun and is basically reflecting off the moon and coming back into our atmosphere from the moon. And one of Stephen Burns' conclusions is that this collection of solar rays that's being reflected from the moons has some very disturbing effects to our electromagnetic normality. Mystery, mystery, mystery. Good news is that we have a first electronic band-aid that actually speeds up the healing process by 30%. That is amazing. What What is the yeah. mechanism? Is it somehow stimulating the skin? It's or? first of its kind. It's a small, flexible, stretchable Band-Aid that uh, accelerates healing. It, it delivers what they call electrotherapy directly mm-hmm. to the wound site. Mm-hmm. The new bandage healed uh, diabetic ulcers 30% faster than in mice without the bandage. Mm. Diabetic ulcers, yeah. huh? Yeah. Well, that's pretty common for humans. And it monitors the healing process and, and everything dissolves, including the electrodes, into the body when it's no longer needed. Hmm. I wonder how this compares with aloe. I usually put an <laughs> aloe Band-Aid on a wound, and it's miraculous. It usually something that would take a week or two in terms of some kind of scratch or, or scab or something would be fixed in a day or two. Maybe that's something that should be added. Yeah. Because 
the the idea typically, you know, when when we get cuts, is that we want to close that wound as quickly as possible because an open wound, as we all know, is susceptible to infection, and we don't want that. And people with diabetes, it's even harder because it's easier to get infected. And this is a new bandage. It's supposed to be really easy and to wear, and it closes wounds. Now, they're not telling you about the details too much in this piece on the power of electricity, but I would like to know more about the frequencies that are involved with healing the body. It's uh, biomedical electronics. It's an exciting arena, and an electronic Band-Aid that speeds up the healing process by 30%. It looks like it's coming our way. Pretty cool, huh? Okay. How much is the Band-Aid? How much is the Band-Aid? <laughs> How do you, oh, do you only, have to have a whole device to plug it into? Only a day's salary. <laughs> no problem there. I mean, some of these... It's reusable, though. Reusable. That's great! So, everybody's going to really enjoy speaking with our guest. She is... A woman who has managed to heal herself from some very difficult issues, brain trauma at a certain point in her life. And she did it with discovering some of the properties of different nutritional remedies. And after many years of working with these therapies, she invented what I think of is going to be a wonderful drink. I haven't had a chance to taste it yet, but it does have a lot of my favorite flavors. And what's most interesting about it is it has an amazing set of nutritional supplements that give people a lot of vitality. Hello, Sierra. We're seeing you come in, connecting to audio. Hi, Sierra. Nice to meet you. Great to meet you. Uh You sound great. So welcome to the show. And uh, we've heard great things about uh, your new company. And we're really excited to introduce our listeners to Brain Pop and to hear from you about all of its great features and qualities and ask you some questions and hear about your experiences creating it and getting it out there. Yeah. Is it true your inspiration came from an actual um, injury, a brain injury you had? Yes. I had a traumatic brain injury. I was a pedestrian crossing the street a number of years ago. I was a sophomore in college. And I was in a coma for four days. I suffered impact crossing the street. And the neurosurgeon who evaluated me said I was a force of nature because the likelihood of surviving was very low. Oh, were you in the hospital for and a while? I was. I was. I, I missed some time in school, but I kind of learned to like appreciate small progress. Did your brain injury affect your identity at all? It did. I worked really hard to rehabilitate. And I was at Cornell at the time. I had friends and classmates who were really supportive and helpful. And I also learned how to be open to the universe. Mm. All the resources that came into my life were a product of a lot of trust and positivity. Wow! I sort of knew right away that if I was going to be negative about it, I wouldn't survive. Because the event was just so traumatic. The contrast. Yeah. The contrast was very intense to wake up from a coma and not really be able to remember anything or do anything. And on top of that, to have to go back to school, I couldn't remember a lot of things that I took for granted before that. 
Wow. Did you have to transcend being a, a victim? Definitely. And I still, you know, for a long time, I had autoimmune illness and I still do to this day, but, and, and a lot of chronic pain from the impact, but I allow myself 15 minutes to feel sorry for myself. And then <laughs> 15 minutes, pretty and good. Then, <laughs> and then I sort of move on. I'm just yeah. like, you know, victimization isn't going to help anyone. It, it doesn't help you in terms of what you can attract. And it certainly wouldn't have gotten me to where I am right now. Hmm. Wow. That is so powerful. What a wonderful way to frame your experience. So I, I gather you are a, a bit of a geek in that you got interested in how to improve your brain chemistry. Okay, Ironically, good. what happened was I had worked for a very well-known established neurologist before the brain injury. His name was Dr. Braverman, and I met him when I was taking a, a neuroscience and neurology class in college. Uh. He was looking for summer interns because he was writing a book called The Edge Effect. And I was his research, one of his research interns for the book. Hmm. And I learned a lot about brain chemistry. And we were looking at different kinds of EEGs every day, many of them. And I found them fascinating. So when I had my brain injury, I immediately went back to some of the things I'd learned in that internship with him. Hmm. Hmm. He took you under his wing, so to speak, and, and, and helped answer your questions about uh, what you might do to uh, improve your functionality. How long did it take? Was, well, that, uh, was that a while? I still have symptoms of post-concussion syndrome. I think it depends on the individual. Yeah. I've read a lot of, a number of cases with regards to vets who come back from combat. And, you know, there's just always variability. So I'm very interested in your journey of discovering what ingredients to put into your brain pop and sort of discovering which ones helped you and how they helped you. Maybe you could walk us down that path. That's a great question. We have a picture in the background right here of the brain pop flavors, mm. and we use the tagline "Drink to Think." Uh huh. It's That's... a light bulb. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you got four flavors. Four flavors. Mm hmm. Coconut delight, mojito madness, mango colada, and dragonberry warrior. I wanted mm. the flavors to be fun and sassy to sort of inspire people to be healthy and to make this idea of productivity and health good taste all in one. Like, why can't we have it all? Right. Well, I was very impressed to hear you list the various micronutrient ingredients that you had in there, everything from the collagen and the magnesium to a whole bunch of other things that I know are maybe a little closer to like smart chemicals. <laughs> so maybe you well, could give us a little education about that. <laughs> there isn't any collagen in this batch, but there might be in a future batch. And there were many ingredients I left out. Um, initially, I had a spreadsheet and I went through all this research with my friend who was who's now a very talented neuroscientist. He was my classmate. We worked together we, during in the internship, in the summer internship. We had a spreadsheet and we kind of went through it and looked at different components. And some, some of them are cooperative components. They work better together. Like caffeine works really well with folic acid or B12, but we didn't put folic acid and B12 in this because I wanted the product to be simple and mainstream. My initial launch funding came from a government grant. I won a pitch contest and they were very set on this being a commercialized product mm. that was for everyone. So we keep the price point affordable and accessible. We're working with EBT food stamps programs to make it a little bit discounted per unit. If you are, in a certain income bracket because the idea of like high quality tasteful nutritive food shouldn't be only accessible to the chosen few 
All right. Well, maybe you could tell us, let's pick a flavor. Let's start with the dragon fruit. Now, what qualities would you attribute to the dragon fruit flavor? They all have the same ingredients. The only difference from one flavor to another is the flavor, and that's based on the fruit puree. So Dragonberry Warrior has dragon fruit plus blackberry puree and the core nutritive ingredients, which is a botanical caffeine blend of green tea extract, green coffee bean, guarana seed. There's a hydration cocktail in each product in each 12-ounce can of L-creatine and minerals like magnesium and potassium. And finally, there are nutritive amino acid antioxidant components like taurine, theanine, choline, L-glutamine, vitamin D, vitamin C to sort of help balance the blend out. And our hypothesis is that the vitamin D, for instance, and magnesium sort of have this very smooth effect on the caffeine. So the caffeine is like a smooth, clean caffeine source. Mm-hmm. A number of people who are caffeine sensitive. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious that. about that. I mean, you must have thought a lot about caffeine. I'm kind of like to pick your brain a little bit about what you've learned. You said smoothing the effect. Is that like taking the jitters out of its impact like you might have in a strong cup of coffee? Precisely. And the effect on your parasympathetic nervous system is a little bit more gentle. There's only 90 milligrams. But mm. we found that you can really get a good boost and not experience the crash or the extra jitters. Some people are caffeine sensitive and the source of the caffeine is incredibly important. So Mm. clean caffeine source of like the green coffee bean or the green tea extract, one of the most expensively difficult to source. It comes from Japan. Japan. How long have you been distributing your product? How long has BrainPop been available to people? Thank you for asking that. We just launched over the summer. I did the formulation last year at Cornell Food Ventures, and then we ran our first production run with Brooklyn Cannery. So we're local to New York and 100% an American product. When we launched over the summer, we were at the Alice and Olivia store, which is a fashion brand. And the colors for the summer collection were very much aligned with the sassy colors of Brain Pop. So then we went into Fashion Week, and that was super fun. New York Fashion Week, it happened in the month of September, and it did really well there. So especially backstage with models. Models kind of liked the fact that there was only 30 calories and 7 grams of sugar on average in each product with a little caffeine boost. And when they were going to hit the runway, they would feel a little bit more energized. The message of positivity, which is drink to think, it's on the side of the can. There's a light bulb on each side, is also intended to promote women as intelligent and smart, but also inspire the inner light within. And that's what that subliminal messaging, the light bulb, is meant to leave our consumers with. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, I feel like this product isn't really about selling someone a can of product. Sure, if you need some sort of hydration, we're happy to be of service. But more importantly, we want to inspire people to connect to that inner light within which everyone has and is always accessible but sometimes can become distant or dim with life experience mm-hmm. right how do you see it being served like it would be like a brain pop at parties is that an alternative to champagne for example there's an opportunity to create some new cultural ritual around this if you feel so inclined is it good to watching the ball game or, uh, I mean, how, how do you see the scenarios uh, play out? 
Well, now that you ask, Uh we signed a deal to work with former NFL quarterback, Eagles quarterback, Donovan McNabb. So we do want some sort of NFL presence. And Mm. I think it's also relevant with regards to the discussion around brain injury and post-concussion syndrome that many NFL Mm. athletes, but also other athletes like in the wrestling and boxing arenas have experienced. And so we want to sort of raise a little bit of awareness around that and kind of create a discussion. Also, we have a mural that is being launched with the Lilac Mural Project called the Brain Pop Drink to Think Light Bulb that is going to be unveiled this month, actually this week. Mm. And you're talking a mural. With National, with National Doctors Day, which is at the end of the month. To oh, nice, honor nice. healthcare workers and physicians who were a part of the pandemic uh. response team and contributed to the mission nationwide. Mm. And that mural is being launched, did I understand, here in San Francisco? Or is it in New yes. York? Yes. Oh, it is in San Francisco, yeah. It's a part of the portfolio of the Lilac Mural Project by Mission Art 415. And they completed the Carlos Santana, a very beautiful Carlos Santana mural about, I think it was October of 2021. So this mural is two murals down from the Carlos Santana mural. It's a two-story mural by the Mission 24th Street BART station. So if anyone does go to that BART station, definitely look for the Brain Pop mural. It's two doors down to the left. (laughs) Wow. So you've been really busy and Mm. you've been using this product to overcome some very serious physical issues. Do you use this product every day or how does it fit into your schedule? That's a great question. The way it fits into my schedule is a little bit different than it might fit in for other people. I drink one in the morning. I obviously have a special relationship to these cans because I was a part of the formulation process. Sometimes I kind of dance with them and, you know, drink one pre-workout or post-workout. Physicians and surgeons, biohackers have really liked the product morning, mid-morning, or to get over an afternoon slump. It also is a great mocktail or cocktail. So you can use it as a standalone beverage in the nightlife scene. Mm. Wow. (laughs) The sober curiosity in the nightlife scene and came to realize that somebody needs to create a new category to make not drinking cool because there's a lot of social anxiety, but also equally sober curiosity around consumers who kind of maybe want to drink less or want to not drink, refrain from drinking completely. So we're hoping that we can maybe plow through that category and become the brand, face of that brand in the coming years. Hopefully we'll still be in business. I'm I'm kind of curious, how busy is this field? Do you have much competition? There's always a lot of competition. The market is incredibly saturated. The barriers to entry are high. Mm. And when people ask, distribution is a lot like the mafia. It's owned and controlled by the gatekeepers, the chosen few, Pepsi, Coke, Dr. Pepper, Snapple, Nestle, Monster. (laughs) So even though there is a lot of potential out there. It's a real David and Goliath scenario, huh? It is. It is. Mm. And so uh, you won a particular contest, which was something offered to young entrepreneurs that you happen to discover and prepare for. Could you give us a little bit of background of how you got this idea, got this wind in your sails? I think it was just luck and luck of the draw and opportunity. Sometimes when you have a problem or at this time, that nexus in my life, I wanted an outlet. I thought it would be really cool if I could talk about my life experience dealing with this brain injury, but also create a legacy product or brand that could inspire people every day. I went to the Coke Museum a few years ago and I thought, you know, somebody really needs to reinvent Coke. Coke is 
so fun. It has so many ad dollars going towards its marketing. But 120 years ago when it launched, it was a functional beverage. And now today it has 39 grams of sugar and can maybe be a cause of premature tooth decay, diabetes, so on and so forth. Why not have a new movement around health and brain health and mental health awareness, especially in the context of today's day and age? There's so many issues that are bipartisan, but hopefully this topic is nonpartisan. It's something that everyone can care about and come together for. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear what you think would be a healthy modern perspective about sugar. Because obviously people are all over the map on how they relate to it, yeah, right? Lots of kinds of sugar, for example. And there must be some that uh, you prefer. I think that anything done in excess isn't healthy and anything done in moderation can be healthy, right? Sure. The idea behind this beverage was to sort of have a balance and strike a balance with flavor and taste, which is important because at the end of the day, there are plenty of beverages that don't taste good. They have aftertaste, so on and so forth. Yeah. But I was hoping that this could be a little bit different. So on average, they have about seven grams of sugar per 12 ounce serving, which is kind of keto friendly and it's definitely diabetic friendly. It's better than even maybe a glass of orange juice, which has like 25 or 30 grams of sugar for 12 ounce serving. So there are many products that we sort of take for granted, iced teas, grapefruit juice, sodas, other juices like apple juice, orange juice that have so much more, like three, four, five times more sugar. And we take it for granted, even a green juice. Some of them have a yeah. very high glycemic index. Do you think we'll ever have a, a keto drink? We could. The issue with keto is that because this is carbonated, putting a fat-soluble compound is a little bit tricky because it's going to not properly diffuse and mm. it might cause some issues when it's going through the tunnel pasteurization canning process. Mm. But it's definitely in the works and something I would love to engage in, hopefully after I hit another round of capital raise mm. where I, there's a little bit more money to do R&D for more yeah, products. Yeah, it is R&D. That's well, the futures okay. are interested in that. Like. We just saw some examples of hydrogen bubbling earlier for water, putting hydrogen bubbles through water using electrolysis. And it's uh, being touted out here in California as a very um, healthy thing to do. Getting more hydrogen to your cells is what they need. I'm kind of curious if you've heard of that and, and what do you think? I think there's so much potential in that mm. area, hydrogen use in water and in other like liquid products. Yeah. Do you consider yourself more of a scientist or a CEO marketer or <laughs> a a uh, a lifestyle designer or you know what kind of labels might we attach to you as the head of the brain pop uh, new empire consortium maybe <laughs> oh well I think uh, the entrepreneur always wears many hats. And sometimes you start off with one hat, right? Like you like branding or you like lifestyle. You're drawn to lifestyle imagery and decor. Yeah. But for me, I started off as a scientist. Um, that's mm. probably who I was before, even when I was a kid. Mm. I went to Montessori and my kindergarten teacher to this day, her name is Esther Williams, might still remember the story. But for many years, she remembered the story because it was so strange, but also memorable. We were making paper mache products. Uh, we were doing a paper mache episode in class. And this was kindergarten. And the kids were making animals and bubbles and just different things. I went and made a vacuum cleaner. And mine was a, a two-tone, a two-tier vacuum cleaner that could go both on the carpet and on the, it turned into a mop. 
Wow. <laughs> Pretty memorable. <laughs> Vacuum cleaner. Wow. Boy, it must have been just such a turning point when you did have that accident and to come out of the coma and realize how differently your mind was working. Absolutely. It was definitely a huge shock. It put me on a different mm-hmm. Sure. in life. I ended up not going to medical school. I sort of knew that life was going to put me on a different course, but I always ask for clarity around why it happened and purpose. And I think whether it's this trauma or any other trauma, I mean, whatever we go through in this human and life experience, yeah. we can either become angry or more distant from each other and from source, or we can use it as an opportunity to get closer to God, the universe, source, or whatever you want to call it. Well, and, that, that ties uh, into your name right there, New Age Drinks. Now, what aspects of the New Age would you say you most embrace? The New Age, uh, the, like in what? In well, what, the name of your name. Place. You have your name, New Just, Age Drinks. Yeah, I mean, off uh, your website. Like um, a direct connection with uh, communicating with the cosmos, uh, connection with the uh, Akashic Record. Uh, it's all one. What aspect of... Uh, well... Yeah, I'm curious what you embrace. New Age drinks is a category of functional beverage. So New Age mm. drinks refers to something very specific in the beverage industry, and ah. that's like the functional beverage. Mm. Oh, so could you give us a little more a description of New Age drinks in the beverage industry? What does that evoke? Absolutely. Well, here's the thing. So in the 90s and early 2000s, the beverage industry was very unilateral. So on one end of the spectrum, you have Coke, Pepsi, Dr. Pepper, high artificial flavor, sugar, caffeine, so on and so forth. And then as you move along the gradient scale, you have a product that is more like a water, like a Perrier, maybe with a hint of fruit, lime, hint water. But in today's day and age, the beverage industry is much more dynamic. So we are crossing over. We have teas that are crossing over with juices. And even in the aisles, like just say in Target or Walmart, sometimes those aisles will change from one day to the next. Sometimes a tea product will be on a juice, a tea product will be on a juice shelf one week and then on a tea shelf the other week. So Hmm. depending on the promotions running. So my point is that New Age Drinks, I think, refers to as an overarching theme and trend Hmm. in this decade to putting functional ingredients, whatever they may be and however they might look, experimentation into the beverage industry and sort of seeing how they interact and delight consumers, right? So kombucha, right? Or even back in the day, Red Bull. Red Bull is a functional beverage, believe it or not. I mean, it has many soda-like attributes, but it set the precedent with taurine. There was a toxicology panel who had to, back I think in 2005, had to assess that quantity of taurine and determine with the FDA and Gross generally regarded as safe as that quantity of taurine being safe in a commercial beverage product. Hmm. Wow. Oh, boy, you've really done your homework. (laughs) Now, it seemed like when we first started talking, you were really very focused on what I think Alan was trying to focus on is some of the really aspirational qualities towards purpose that have really informed your journey. I'd love to hear you talk some more about that and how this expression of your purpose really helps people and where we're taking ourselves as a culture. That's a really lovely and deep question. And I think in today's day and age, startups need to have a deeper meaning and deeper purpose. Hmm. Fourth bottom line. Well, there's always a sustainability discussion. So for instance, 
in the context of launching a new product, consumers more than want to know that a product is clean, that it's sustainable. They want to know maybe some KPIs around that, like a carbon footprint, so on and so forth. And whether you have met specific metrics, KPIs, with regards to carbon footprint, carbon emission, sustainability, or moving toward one, I think looking at that as an important component of your product and the life cycle is essential. I'll give you an example. There's a company called Surat Technologies. They do high-frequency laser printing with fiber optics. I think they closed a round, a Series C round of capital for about $80 million in June, last June of 2022. And what was really interesting about Surat Technologies is most of their contributors to that Series C round of capital were car companies. Car companies because most of their products that they're looking to make are car parts using high-frequency laser printing. And this type of technology can take the carbon emission and carbon footprint to near zero. But they had never entertained the idea of maybe just changing a couple components of their machinery to be able to make cans, aluminum cans. So I reached out to them, being the bold, I guess, person I am. I, I said, hey, I want you guys to entertain this idea and they responded so that's something on the table and even though it hasn't happened yet it might happen in the future so with regards to your question how do you create purpose i think one purpose is internal it's something that drives me to do this every day but it's also aligning with the public and the consumers the people that are drinking this every day and finding out what they want and what's important to them and really being a good listener hmm. yeah you have yeah. a good feedback loop for people to send you what they think Absolutely. People respond every day. The response has been generally very positive. I'm surprised. I don't take it personally. People are negative. I'm overly grateful, though, and overjoyed when I hear people or see pictures of people consuming the product, hearing about how it made them feel, hearing about the productivity they experienced. Because ultimately, what I want this to be is to be a universal or a nationwide product that brings people together. Hmm, that's great. So my question, of course, is where do we get a hold of some Brain Pop? How do we order that like you, from you? Are you going to be or, at Whole Foods or, or, or what? That's a great question. So with regards to where we are, we're on Amazon. And to my friends and family, when you place an order on Amazon or on Shopify, the Shopify link is accessible through the website, which is New Age Drinks, like the company.com. If you place an order and just send me an email, I will let the 3PL know and we always send you extra product. We're doing it through the end of March. We are also available on FAIR, which is a wholesaler platform. And we are currently in some 7-Elevens, Feed Marts, different stores in New York and New Jersey. Getting to national distribution takes about three years. So for instance, we have received inquiries from Whole Foods, but the timing isn't right to enter into Whole Foods because I only have so many product and so many cans. So it's just a slow growth process. And you just have to sort of work with the timing and the trials and tribulations of every phase of growth and development as from a startup in early stage to a national distributing brand. Well, we certainly wish you great luck. And of course, you come highly recommended from our friends here on the West Coast who have had a chance to test it and to take it. And I just feel like I love the name and I really have loved our conversation. It's really fun to talk to you and really get to know the depth of your process in creating this wonderful drink. Can't mm. wait. Thank yeah. you so much to you both. It's yeah. been truly a pleasure. And I, I just love 
sharing this mission with those who are interested because I feel like the discussion of mental health awareness and brain nutrition is just so relevant and applicable. We're kind of at an all-time high post-pandemic with depression and anxiety. So anything we can do to like come together Mm. and just create happiness. We always say happiness one step at a time Mm. is essential, right? Because people think that sometimes the things they want are far away, but more often than not, they're just small steps away. Closer than you think. Especially coming from you where you're really every day balancing the choice between focusing on the pain or the sorrow or focusing on the opportunity and the expansion. It's always like right there. Absolutely. Mm. And I think the world around us and the life that we live individually is so much more a product of our thought, which is a product of our brain chemistry and our mental health than anything else. You can put two people in the same situation or five people or 10 people, and you'll just see an array of different responses. I'm just curious where you like to tune in when you're gathering new information about that brain health, that brain chemistry, mental health. Are there any resources that you take advantage of? Well, I definitely read PubMed and I follow a a couple of different neurologists and psychiatrists in the space. Also, I love your show and your platform. I've tuned in a couple of times and and more frequently uh, recently. I followed Instagram is great. TikTok, Mm -hmm. you can, I mean, you know, some people don't like these avenues because they say, oh, they sort of think that maybe they are addictive or toxic, but you know, you can find whatever you seek, I think. So if you put that out there, I mean, it'll come back to you. And I really like Abraham Hicks. And when I was a, a kid, I remember reading, I was maybe 11 or 12, read Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. So, yeah. you know, I read a lot. I read a lot as a kid and I read a lot now, but that book really stayed with me. I don't know if you know the story of Viktor Frankl, but he was an Auschwitz survivor and he noticed that the prisoners in Auschwitz in Birkenau, which was the toughest death camp of all the different entities in Auschwitz, the ones who had a mental separation from their environment and allowed for a little bit of positivity and mental health to come into their sphere, no matter what they were physically going through, were more likely to survive. And that's when he said in his book that once you give in to the situation, the reality of Auschwitz, it's when you're ready to die, that like you die mentally before you physically die. And I always took that when I was going through my recovery very seriously, you know, and I sort of knew that because I was physically in such an intense emotional state of distress Hmm. that if I, for one second, looked and saw that, I probably wouldn't be alive. I wouldn't want to be alive. I wouldn't have any reason to. And I kept almost through habitual training just being really positive. And I put myself around positive people. It wasn't even by it wasn't even intentional. Sometimes it was just coincidental. And I think the law of attraction is fundamentally just such a true principle. It's mm. it's as true as gravity. You know, we don't see it, so maybe we don't believe it. Mm. But I think when we believe it, then we start to see it, and it's almost iterative in that way. Mm. How about synchronicities? Do you pay attention to synchronicities? That's a really good question. I think synchronicity is a component of law of attraction. And once you see everything that's happening to you as happening with you, and that you are an active contributor to what happens to you, whether you want to believe it or not, Mm. that's when you start to see more synchronicity and your thoughts turn into things. So one really life-changing moment I had a number of years ago was when I thought to myself, what if I 
had subconsciously asked for this brain injury? Like, what if this event came into my life because I was just so distant from source energy before that? You know, Mm. I was maybe a lot very negative or maybe I I didn't really tune in to what was going on inside me. And and this extreme event had to happen to like get me in line with source energy. And a part of me didn't really want to acknowledge that. I was like, what the heck? Like I'm not asking for chronic pain. But another part of me thought maybe I need to entertain this and maybe entertaining it will help me on this healing quest. Yeah. Some part of you that sees the bigger picture that ultimately it'll be good for you. And it's a subtle difference too, between allowing yourself to, adopt that perspective that it's happening for the best, even if there's pain involved, that's a little different than acting like you caused it. It's more like life is unfolding all the time and you're responding to it in the current moment, like with what actually is. And so taking the traumatic event and then taking responsibility for it at your soul spiritual level so that you can really embrace the gifts I think it's a very wise thing to do. And yeah. I really love how you are explaining it and how your discovery of that really is a very profound spiritual lesson. Mm. You know? If you can bring that into the business world, all the better. Yeah. Thank you. And I mean, I couldn't have said it better than you, son. That was just so eloquent and beautifully said. And I'm aligned with you 100%. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel the same way. It's so nice to meet you, Sierra. And it's I wish you just unlimited success. And I can't wait to experience all of your research and, and productivity and creativity with the brain pop. Thank you. I appreciate you. And thank you for having me on the show today. It's been such a pleasure. And if anyone wants to keep in touch... You can follow us on Instagram. We have two accounts. Mm-hmm. One is Drink Brain Pop and one is Brain Pop Drink. And we also have an amazing TikTok account, which is a course of a different color. It's mm-hmm. called Brain Pop Relax. It has nearly um, 900,000 followers and all these different inspiring, creative, little 15, 14 second videos that were created during the pandemic. And it kind of went viral. But the idea behind that account was to give people a visual expression or depiction of what being in a coma looked like, which is some people can have positive or negative experiences. My experience being in a coma was incredibly surreal and transcendental. So if you do have TikTok and are curious about this account, it's called Brain Pop Relax. All right. Oh, I can't wait to check out all of these things. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah, uh, uh, two things. One reminds me about a year ago, Sun went through a uh, brain training program that uh, was created by a woman who had had a garage door slam on her head. Oh, yeah, serious and, brain trauma. And yeah. I have, you know, I haven't really been. Very but it was very interesting technology. To this, this field of mental injury and mental health and the approaches that people go to to really help restore that lost functionality. And I just have total respect for it. Mm. And I wanted to see if uh, Bobby had anything to add before we take off. Yeah, our co-host, Bobby Wilder. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Sierra. Yeah. Hi. I'm on Amazon. And yes, I see your drinks. You have Coconut Delight, Dragonberry Warrior, Mango Colada, Mojo Madness. And... Um, I, mojito. Uh, oh, mojito, mojito, okay. <laughs> and I'm looking at the ingredients on the uh, Coconut Delight, and I think you have a great selection of nootropics in there. And 
actually the L-theanine, which comes from the green tea and all the other electrolytes that are in this, you know, you got Himalayan sea salt, all kinds of things. But I would really like to try that drink. <laughs> yes. Me too. You're going to get some, but you're, you're going to get a lot of new yeah. orders very soon. <laughs> and be sure to email us, email us your address and we'll put yeah. some in the mail. One thing I do want to say is there are many things that are not in this product, right? Not every nootropic or not every antioxidant is in this product. And the idea was that, especially from the commission that granted me this initial funding round, mm. was to keep it simple because we want to make brain nutrition and brain education accessible to everyone, but also simple, right? There is something beautiful about simplicity and what you're taking out of a product as opposed to like what you're putting in it. So much of marketing nowadays is about simple and clean packaging and clean marketing. So for instance, we are looking for a research institute, Bobby, to your point, to assess magnesium vitamin D with the caffeine component because that triumvirate compound could be more beneficial than we think. Magnesium plays a role in like 360 processes in the body, many of which are in the central nervous system. And I'm thinking of like one example, but it's almost like a gatekeeper on the NMDA receptor, which is where glutamate binds to glycine. And when you have a TBI, sometimes you have an excess of glutamate. So magnesium is essential in that like one pathway activity to regulate the glutamate excess. But another example with vitamin D is that it plays an essential role in triggering enzymes in the brain and in the cerebrospinal fluid that then translate into nerve growth, neurotransmitter release. And many people are vitamin D deficient, especially physicians and people who work corporate jobs are indoors most of the time. So we're hoping that you can get a little bit of your vitamin D intake from this product. Yeah. Great. That's fantastic. All right. Well, maybe we should let yeah. you go. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating to talk to you. We've got just about another 15 yeah. minutes of our show. We've got a couple other stories you want to get to. Yeah. But. We're going to just make up for some lost time. We had little technical difficulties earlier on. I'm so glad we're able to get you down there. We're going to be putting this out on our website and at Santa Cruz Voice as well. It'll yeah. be out for repeats. So best of luck to you. Thanks absolutely. for being Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on your show. And yeah. Have a great day. I look forward to hearing from you guys All right. and staying in touch. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bye. Thank you. Bye, Sierra. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay. Fun, huh? Yeah. Isn't that great? Thank you, Donna Hale, for introducing us to Brain Pop and Free Energy Bob. You right. guys are really good scouts. <laughs> I would really like to try their drinks. So I think I'm going to order some here on, on Amazon. Yeah. Good and idea. Very interesting. I went through the Traumatic Brain Injury Center here at UCSF. This was in late fall of 2019, just before COVID. Uh-huh. When and you say you I, went there, what, what was your purpose in going there? I ended up going through there. Originally, I went to the emergency room. and Did you have an accident? Yeah. What, I, I was standing. The last thing I remember was I walked to the refrigerator and I'm standing in front of the refrigerator. And then I think maybe 15 minutes later, I open up my eyes and I'm looking at the floor underneath the refrigerator. Oh, so you blacked out. Yeah, I either fainted or I didn't know what it was. So I made an appointment with my doctor at UCSF and they said, no, don't wait for that. Just go right to emergency. Mm -hmm. so, 
This is a couple days later. I go to emergency. Uh-huh. What I had them, they wanted to do all kinds of things to my brain. And having a nuclear physics department at the Berkeley, that ionizing radiation is great. But MRIs are okay. So I waited till I got in there at six in the evening and about four in the morning, we have to have an MRI of my brain. I was released later that day. And then I had the traumatic brain injury group at UCSF look at the MRI and they said, yeah, there's a little concussion in the back of your head, but we can't really see what caused the, uh, for me blacking out or ending up on the floor. But I did learn a lot. There was very talented people there at CSF. Uh, it caused me to look at even more nootropics and brain nutrients and anything that would cause neurogenesis in the brain. Sure. Because I really felt for a couple of weeks, well, actually months, that I'd lost some of my memory. Mm. Well, the- I'm really looking forward to your report on brain pop. <laughs> yeah. See how much brain elasticity is restored. See what effects you notice, etc. The idea of mixing something that has caffeine and something that has magnesium is kind of interesting because I was told by a friend that magnesium is very good for going to sleep, but you know maybe that's not really entirely accurate. <laughs> well, it's true, and there's many forms of magnesium. You know, they have the magnesium citrate, magnesium chelate. They have magnesium. All of, but the best magnesium, apparently, that is bioavailable and very goes through the brain barrier and goes right to the brain is uh, magnesium threonate. Oh, okay. And if you go in, is that the kind that you would get in Calm, or is there some other source of that? <laughs> magnesium threonate. I don't know the actual chemistry, but it's definitely noticeable. It will calm you. I take it just before I go to bed. Okay. And. It relaxes you. Um, and in, their, uh, in the brain pop, uh, Coconut Delight, they have uh, L-theanine, which is the calming factor of green tea. Mm. So that's why when you drink lots of green tea, yes, you get, a little, you get some caffeine, but the L-theanine part of it actually relaxes you. So it's a very calm alertness as opposed to coffee which is kind of a edgy alertness Mm. so green tea naturally has this l-theanine and magnesium in it to uh, calm you from the part of the green tea well today has definitely been dedicated to brain chemistry And this next segment is about Walter Russell, a relatively unknown American Renaissance man of the 20th century. He's introduced to us by Jan Ballard, a pioneer in collaborative work environments, networker, and storyteller of our community. We recorded an interview with him about Walter Russell at the Treehouse in Boulder Creek, our favorite local coffee lunch spot in town. Enjoy. I feel very connected to this guy. I feel, I, I don't know, this guy is just like so fucking incredible. You've never Me heard too, his name, man. right? I love this. Do you know I'm who Walter, do you know this name, this. Walter Russell? Get a picture. Walter Russell, yeah. yeah. You know that name? No. I know the name, I don't know much so. about him though. Who is he? He is like, 
like the greatest human that ever wait lived. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Walter a Russell is like scientist kind of he, Renaissance man. Yeah, like yeah. like Leonardo cubed. <laughs> really? Walter Russell, huh? This fucker was off the yeah. charts. And this is my gift for you for 20, to, is, a, really? is the story. Really? This is Walter uh -huh. telling the story of the Twilight Club. Oh, wow. wow. And I just published, this is, a, this is a black market. This thing is out of print. This guy was literally, I mean, he was the Leonardo of America, of our times. And he's completely out of our memory. Uh-huh. And, uh, Why is that? Well, um, did he believe certain things that weren't cool? I mean, uh, like, um, was he a racist? If you can imagine, <laughs> no, I no, 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 he actually wasn't. In fact, there's this beautiful thing where he was, yeah. Collier's Magazine contracted him to paint the 10 most beautiful children in America. Really? And he went all over the country and found 10 kids and and got to know the families and it's like this whole story and it's all like in the mid 30s and Collier's hmm. and at the end of it that he has no interest in painting any more perfect specimens he wants to go to find you know 80 year old ladies in the mountains of you know Asia and, get reality yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know paint the faces of real yeah. experience and stuff yeah. no he he was he was lit up this guy was bringing and i bet he was the one who 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 converted carnegie cuz carnegie was in with Vanderbilt and all those guys. And Carnegie, they, they, they were known as robber barons. They were them. the robber barons. Yeah. I mean, they were making all this money off the Civil War and all this shit. Yeah. And then Andrew Carnegie had a change, and I'm pretty certain it's because he encountered Walter, Walter and Russell. joined the Twilight Club. And so Walter was sound, best friends with Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. Yeah. Walter is the only person I know of that achieved world class fame in all six mediums of art. I, 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 I challenge anybody. Who else, just on the merits of their art itself, literally became the best in the world, acknowledged by their peers in all six mediums? So Walter, um, best friends with Teddy Roosevelt, and became a world-class equestrian, taking care of Teddy's horses. Teddy loved this, so they had this thing about horses together. And then he becomes the White House sculptor for, for FDR. He sculpted a bust of FDR yeah. in under two hours. It's this tall and it's made of limestone. He sculpted green limestone like automatic, like you make one error and the whole thing's ruined. Yeah. I mean, sculptors will not sculpt in limestone because you, you can't fix you make a little thing and you can't uh -huh. fix it. So he just he did just, it once, huh? He just, and done, one oh. and done. The huh. guy was just on it, was just uh -huh. on it. He was a world-class figure skater <laughs> and equestrian. He invented parkways. The Bronx River Parkway was his, oh. was his thing. He was an architectural genius. He built a bunch of different, really innovative buildings. Did he ever express why he was able to do that? <coughs> yeah, it's all in the books. It's all, I mean. Uh, like he tuned into like a universal wisdom. Kind of he went through you know? seven gates and then he had a full awakening in the 50th year in the 40, the 40, the seventh awakening was a full awakening. Huh. And he just tapped directly into the universe and he just did he have a teacher himself, or was he no. just doing it on his own? No, and um, his he was unbelievably prolific. Um, I was in his museum in, in Waynesboro, Virginia, yeah. and 
if you, there's a book called the, the Universal One that's like that thick with gold embossed, you know, and it's got some of his drawings in there. This guy was drawing, you know, very large posters of dozens of interlocking spheres and curves, all freehand. I mean, stuff you couldn't do. I mean, it'd be really hard to do it with like equipment. This guy's like literally drawing just, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of these drawings. He, he drew, he channeled the periodic table. Really? Two versions of it. And he had elements on the periodic table that weren't discovered yet. They got discovered later. Was it was he what would you call it, an embodied channel? I mean, he didn't like talk about his channel having a name other than himself. God, just God, right? Direct connection, direct connection, like Akashic record, to God. Access. Yeah, and if yeah. you read the man who tapped the secrets of the universe, yeah. he talks about the great art geniuses and how their lives were. I mean, I'm just, I'm just blown away. Walter was best friends with, like, all these luminaries. One of them was Andrew Carnegie. Carnegie Hall, he built Carnegie Hall to make Walter a studio. Walter created in Carnegie Hall. That was his place, was inside Carnegie Hall. It turns out that in 1870, this English guy named Herbert Spencer um, gave up on trying to convince the English that piracy wasn't a good strategy for global civilization. And so he started coming to the US and he became friends with uh, Thoreau and Emerson yeah, and the Twilight all, Club, all these New different people, and they started Emerson, to convene Mark Twain, the Twilight Carnegie. Club, and a after about twenty years, they had kind of a critical mass of interested people, uh -huh. and they asked the question, "Well, who are the wisest people in the society?" and and everybody uh, said, "Oh, it's the poets." Walt Whitman, and so so Mark Twain and Walt Whitman and Henry David Thoreau, and and Ralph Waldo Emerson, came up with the poets' code. We pause here a moment in Jan's exciting exchange about the uh, Twilight Club to read the Poets' Code of Ethics that had been developed back in the 19th century, the late 19th century. Originally, there were seven items. Uh, later, number five was inserted by Thomas Watson, who had been a president. And numbers nine and 10 were added by Walter Russell and his wife Lau later when she came into it. So, Poet's Code of Ethics of the Twilight Club. Number one, to attain the brotherhood of man idea by giving righteous action and goodwill service to every man instead of taking from him that which he has. Two, to discover that all men are extensions of each other, that man is made for man and that the hurt of one man is the hurt of all men. Three, to develop character, intelligence, and good citizenship by teaching every man from early youth how to be a good neighbor and a loyal citizen. Four, to discover one's inner self by awakening within him that spark of divine genius which lies dormant in every man. Five, to teach man to think rather than to remember and repeat. Six, to realize that work done for the material world should be for man's ennoblement and not for grinding a soul out in the gears of industrial machines. Seven, to know that man is mind, not body, that he is immortal spirit, not mortal flesh, that he is good, not bad. Eight, 
to judge the righteousness and religion of any man by what he does to his fellow man and not by his beliefs, doctrines, creeds, or dogmas. And these uh, next two were added by Walter Russell and Lau. Number nine, to give a scientific course of study for comprehension of the Spencer Code of Human Relations as being the inviolate law of God, which man knows he must obey or else pay the price in personal unhappiness and international wars. And ten, to teach the scientific meaning of seek ye the kingdom of heaven within you. I and my Father are one. God is light. God is love. What I am, you also are. And what I do, you can also do. Now that is the code that was a result of many meetings in a twilight in various houses in New York. Hence the name, The Twilight Club. Tom Sawyer uh -huh. and Huck Finn came from The Twilight Club. These guys got together, they you wrote the Mark code. Twain? Mark Twain he was, was in, in the group. The yeah, right yeah. They came up with this oh, seven stanzas of the poet's code. And then they all agreed to write shit. So Emerson's essays and Thoreau's, all their, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, all came from coming, decades of conversation, coming up with the poet's code and then embedding the code in their writing. Yes. And that was their idea to transform human consciousness. To teach oh. man to think rather than to remember and repeat. So when T.J. Watson became the president in 1900, he added number five and made it eight. Uh -huh. Teach people to think, not remember and repeat. And, that, that, and then they started embedding it in everything. And you read this story and you literally, this is the story of modern society. This is the story of how this group of people decided to up-level the behavior and consciousness of everybody. Wow. And, and to transform industry, transform the society at every level. You can imagine all these, they're old guys by then, right? I mean, these are all captains gentlemen, of industry, yeah. gentlemen in their <clears throat> mansions with their drinks and the, you know, the, the, the drinking jack, I mean, the whole nine yards. And this woman, 19 years old, comes to their meetings when she's 19. Her <laughs> name is Sophie Irene Loeb. She, she was born in the ghetto, in the sweatshop area. Mm -hmm. And when she was 15, she like looked downtown, which used to be like across fields and everything. Mm -hmm. And she said, I don't belong here, I belong there. And she literally just walked down to Park Avenue and became, and became a, a, a resident. And at 19, she went to this newspaper and she walked in and she was just gonna talk to anybody. And, um, and she could just see everybody was busy turning out the paper. No, so there's like nobody to talk to. So she goes, well, I wanna speak to the editor whose name was Pulitzer. <laughs> so Pulitzer is in his office, having just had his portrait painted by, I think, Richard Sandberg, Carl Sandberg, very famous American portrait painter, and they had just finished. Mm -hmm. And so he said, sure, show her in. So she comes in and she, he goes, what can I do for you, young lady? And she goes, well, it's not what you can do for me, it's what I can do for you. And he, he said, oh, really, what can you do for me? And she said, I can write for you. Uh, and he goes, oh, really, well, what kinds of things would you write? And she hands him, like, this whole stack of columns, and he starts reading it to the, to the painter. Uh-huh. They're blown away. He hires her on the spot, gives her a desk. So at 19 years old, this young woman has a real job, and her job is to write about 
how the Poets Code is not happening. Oh boy. And she ends up leading a campaign to illegalize sweatshops, uh -huh. put in the minimum wage, uh -huh. put in compulsory education, uh -huh. put in a foster system for orphan kids, put in the child welfare funds, and at the end of her life she decided every child in America should have a playground, so she's just start building playgrounds. So she's just like this. Wow. And, and these guys were just like supporting this young woman and like she'd go and have her ideas and then they'd like, they'd make phone calls and do whatever and just open the doors. And, and they, they literally reinvented society. Rotary clubs, Kiwanis clubs, um, the Boy Scouts of America, the Boy Scouts of England, the Herbert Spencer um, met Teddy Roosevelt at the Twilight Club where he gave a talk in science and went back and, and convinced Lord Baden-Powell to start the Boy Scouts mm -hmm. and then they imported the Boy Scouts into the United States and the Boy Scouts is the Boy Scouts and the YMCA both out of England are pretty incredible stewardship you know global stewardship entities the Twilight Club uh-huh ended as the layman's movement started. So I've just learned that IBM was created by TJ Watson and Walter Russell as the leaders of the Twilight Club from 1900 on to literally transform business uh -huh. on the planet uh -huh. and to create an, a company Club. that was an exemplar um, of, of, of value creation and respecting people rather than piracy and, and, and thievery, basically. Wow. This is what T.J. Watson, why he bought it. Uh -huh. They figured out they needed to go in and build a company that everyone else would have to basically rise to. The book, Think, is from, well, written by Walter Russell. Think, that that theme of, uh, that's Think, that's Walter Russell. Yeah, that was their... And that's the Twilight Club in business. That was Think. Their, that was their... Uh, their, their brand, I mean, brand for IBM Think. Yeah, right? it's still the the internal yeah. magazine for their clients is called Think. I don't know. There's something for me, knowing that this spiritual adept, probably one of, I mean, certainly one of the greatest, some of the greatest artist and spiritual person in history, was with FDR in the White House during all of World War II. He was the <clears throat> resident sculptor in the White House. So he did a bust of, of FDR. He was one of the only people in the White House who could just walk in to the president's room. I mean, you know, most, except for family. Nobody. She was close with the president, huh? Well, I, I don't know. I just, it's just so moving to me to know that FDR had this guy. Yeah. And, 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 and he was Teddy's, he had the connection. Of Te Teddy's best friend was FDR's mentor. mentor. I mean, that's fucking. Yeah. That's insane. I mean, when you think about what it took for FDR to do that and that he had this guy at his back yeah. the whole time, it like it makes sense to me. Mm. How did he do it? Because FDR was an invalid in a lot of discomfort. And as the war went on, his physical pain was getting worse and worse. Yeah. yeah. And he was, he, and he basically was being debilitated and he made it through getting the war over and getting through the Democratic Convention. Yeah, and right. then, and then, the, Glenn Clark publishes this book, and it's popular, and people read it. And an orphan from London who grew up on the docks of London, an orphan named Lao L A O, reads the book, 
goes and finds Walter. She's like this gorgeous, young, like 300 IQ young woman. And she read the book and she went and found him. And she said, she said, you're mine. I'm, you know, we're doing this together. Yeah. And she just like, it just, she, and, and so the reason all this stuff is here is because the Twilight Club, she was the one who, who got the foundation going and then founded the university and all the publishing stuff. Walter drove all over the United States looking for their home and they ended up um, buying a 40-room marble castle in Waynesboro, Virginia called Shenanoa uh -huh. and hosting all, you know, the luminaries of the time at this incredible hilltop <laughs> castle <laughs> that some robber baron had built as a summer place, you know. But this guy started having spiritual illuminations when he was 20. And he would, he would meditate and go into samadhi. And he had seven different epochs, seven different seven-year epochs where he would meditate at a certain level and then it would, it would drop yeah, down. And then his, he, would, he would do his painting and his art from inside of the meditation. Yeah. So he was basically like an automatic painter. Uh, Thomas Edison, I think it was, was his friend. He knew Edison and Tesla, and he was going uh, to do a bust of Edison, and the sculptor that was supposed to, he was like, Edison wanted him to manage the project, but have a sculptor do it, and the sculptor, like, couldn't come. So Walter just went, went into state and just created the bust, and he became a sculptor at 55, and no training, it's just Tuned in. Tuned in to the energy and just yeah. did it. That's it's, it is literally 150 years of small groups of people intentionally raising the consciousness of the whole planet. Yeah. And they've been doing it. And it's now 150 years of history. This is the last living member of the they Twilight Club. On to you to continue the Twilight Club with the future. Into the future. The what is this word? To continue. To continue the Twilight Club into the future. I pass this token. Torch. Torch. This torch. Onto you. Yeah, to he's quoting the Twilight Bertrand Russell. Club into the future with eternal thanks. The last living member of the Twilight Club. The We're Twilight it. Club is the it, self self It's happening being. already everywhere. Now that was fascinating, eh? Now, interestingly enough, Walter and Lau Russell's primary website for their University of Science and Philosophy is at www.philosophy.org. Wow. For those of you who are more visually oriented, we have a video illustrated version of our interview with Jan Ballard at our website, www.drfutureshow.com. That's drfutureshow.com. Well, have a great week, everyone. We leave you now with a cool remix of Carl Sagan and the miracle of our universe. We're about to begin a journey through the cosmos. We'll encounter galaxies and suns and planets, life and consciousness coming into being, evolving and perishing. Worlds of ice and stars of diamond, 
massive as suns and universes smaller than atoms. But it's also a story of our own planet and the plants and animals that share it with us. And it's a story about us. It's a story about us. It's a story about us. Cosmos is a Greek word for the order of the universe. Cosmic year, the 11th hour of the 
20th sector. An application of the human talent for making tools. It's a story about us. What happens in the first second of the next cosmic year depends on what we do here and now with our intelligence and our knowledge of the cosmos.